There is no such thing as bad publicity. Or is there? I'll ask the PR guru, Paul Blanchard, in a bit. Hi, I'm Graham Mack. Welcome to the Pod 20. And on this week's show, you'll meet the psychologist who is a comedian and the writer who doesn't have a mind's eye. Also, what's Britain's most polarising plumber really like? And I'll check in with Ali and Bean, who do their podcast from different sides of the Atlantic. The Pod 20 is heard on podcast radio on DAB in London, the home counties, Manchester, Birmingham and Glasgow, on demand in the USA at talkers.com, around the world on multiple platforms and as a podcast itself. Let's get into the chart now and at number 20, The Mindset Mentor. Rob Dial can motivate you to become the best version of yourself. 19. Red Collar When you think of a white-collar criminal, you might picture a CEO getting caught up in a financial scandal. But there's a subgroup of these seemingly non-violent offenders who are never discussed in the mainstream media. The white-collar criminals who kill. Catherine Townsend dives into the minds of these real-life psychos. At 18, Gangster. The rise and fall of the underworld boss, Paul Massey. A story of murder, drugs and gang wars. And if you want to find out more about Paul Massey, look out for an audiobook coming out soon called Paul Massey, A Salford Heart, which was written by Kelly Massey, Steve Wraith and Jack W. Gregory. And it was narrated by me. At 17, Humorology with Paul Barros. Paul, your background is in comedy and music. How did you become a psychologist? Well, I originally studied psychology at university and uh, I went to America and spent a, a, a year in San Francisco at Berkeley. And um, I was always fascinated by it. And by the time, what used to happen is that people in comedy and music uh, used to come up and, and and pick my brains, essentially, and go, Paul, I'm having a little bit of trouble with this. Can you help? And so I'd sort of dipped my toe into the water. And towards the end of my career, a very famous um, comedian came up to me and said, Paul, I've got stage fright. He said, I've got to do a live at Her Majesty's TV performance in front of 2,000 people live and probably 7 million on TV. Can you help me? And I didn't know what to do. It was way beyond uh, what I, I could cope with. But I said, I'll, I'll find out for you. And I went and found out this um, neuro-linguistic programmer who had uh, did psychology, uh, and he was the best in Europe. And I went and saw him because he actually only lived up the road. And I said, look, I've got a very famous person who I'd like to help. Would you be able to do it? And he said, yeah, I, I can do that uh, pretty easily. And I was thinking, pretty easily? That uh, Don't be silly. This is complicated stuff. This is, you know, lie down on the couch and sort of, uh, you know, talk to me for three years. But actually, he went to see him once and he was cured of his stage fright. And so I went back to the guy and I said, I have to know what you're doing because I love psychology and I love performance. And uh, he said, well, if you like it, 
come and film me because I, I was working in television as well. Uh, I'm doing a five day course for doctors. And on I filmed it. And on the second day, I was talking to him about the similarity between what he was doing and comedy that it was very outcome orientated. You know, you shouldn't start anything before knowing the outcome. And he said, would you like to talk to the doctors about that tomorrow? And I went, okay. And then went home and panicked because, you know, I didn't really know what I was going to talk about. Next day did it. And um, that led to him saying, do you know what? I'm getting older and I need somebody to co-present with me. If you co-present with me, I will teach you everything I know. So for two and a half years, I trained doctors and nurses at Guy's Kings and St. Thomas's. And basically got all his knowledge and, and got read all the books he told me about and uh, basically improved on every level of psychology that I could until... The most bizarre thing happened. I know this is a very long answer, Graham, to a very it's short fine. question. But um, so we've been doing that for two and a half hours. And then the BBC came calling and they were looking for psychologists uh, to present an eight o'clock BBC two uh, television program called Speed Up, Slow Down. And we didn't really want to do it because we were sort of immersed in what we were doing with training the doctors and we had other ideas. And so we turned them down twice. And eventually they said, look, we'll come anywhere just to shoot a bit of footage. And we went, look, we've got 20 minutes here. If you want to come along, come along and shoot something. And they came along and all, I mean, because of my background in comedy, and psycho, all, all I did was play up to the camera a bit. They shot some footage and then they went away. And three days later, they rang us and offered us a full series on BBC Two. Wow. That's and a so proper showbiz suddenly, story of, of being discovered. You didn't go, you didn't have to go out of your way and say, and say, set the goal that we want our own show on BBC Two and then go and crawl to people and all the rest of it. it it came to you just because of the work you were doing yeah it's i mean it's the classic build it and they will come i suppose yeah. Graham. but yeah. it, it was you know it was one of those things and what happened from ha having a, a your own show on bbc2 what happened is the bbc branded me as a psychologist and time management expert and all these things and so automatically companies started coming to me and going, you're an expert on this. So will you come and do lectures? Will you come and do trainings? And the first company that, that came was probably uh, the biggest company you could go to in terms of training was Google. Wow. And so wow. I became one of the first five trainers at Google. Uh, so do these things are just happened chance really or happenstance really um but extraordinary things happen if you put yourself out there and you try new things i'm a great believer in just trying new things and you go you've done all these things well all i did was i'm interested i'm gonna give it my all and um things flow from that i suppose
Well, it's flowing well, Paul. Humorology with Paul Barros is at number 17 this week on the Pod 20. At 16, distractible, thoughtful discussions about interesting stories from everyday life. 15, anatomy of murder. A murder case has many layers. The victim, the crime and the investigation. To truly understand it, you need to dissect each piece of a tragic puzzle and anatomy of murder does that and it's at number 15. 14. The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, Ears Edition. Listen to highlights and extended interviews from The Daily Show from Comedy Central's Podcast Network. And number 13. Nothing Much Happens. Bedtime Stories for Grown-Ups. The host and writer, is Catherine Nikolai. Catherine, a lot of people might think that when you create your stories and characters, that you can picture them. Mm-hmm. But what I found out about you is, is you don't have the ability, the thing that we call the mind's eye, to create pictures in the mind. Is that a fair description of the condition you have? Yep, that's exactly it. I, I might have an inner eye, but it's blind. I don't have access to any visual imagery in my brain. And so this is a condition called aphantasia, and I have it in a complete sense, which means all my senses are blind inside me. So some people can remember the way something smelled, or they can remember the way something sounded, or even like a tactile sensation, and recreate the experience inside themselves, as well as like remembering how something looked. I have none of that, and I have no inner monologue. So it's very quiet in here. <laughs> there's, there's no there's no soundtrack either. Mm-mm. There's no voice in your head. There's no pictures in your head. No. So when you say you created these stories and and these worlds and stuff, what is it? If it's not if it's not dialogue and it's not pictures, is it feelings? I think it's um, concepts, but they're not necessarily voiced. And I can't see them. I'm thinking my way through thoughts and ideas, through how something would feel, but I can't feel it. Um, sometimes people with aphantasia explain it like, um, remember when computers had a tower and a monitor? And it's kind of like our monitor um, is, is on, but it's not facing us. We can't see it. So maybe even the images do get created, but I can't see them. So it's really hard to explain because I've never known my brain to be any other way, but I'm thinking my way through concepts and I'm understanding what it might feel like, but I can't in any way recreate a sensory experience. So if this was totally normal to you, when did you realize that it wasn't, that, that most people have pictures and soundtrack? I realized it a couple of ways. One was we were redecorating our house and my wife kept trying to get me to consider what it might look like if we did this or that, you know, picking paint colors. What if the cabinet in the bathroom was black? And I would just think, how could a person know that? And that's finally what I said. I was like, how could you know that? That to me is like, you've got a bag of marbles and you say, which color marble will I take out next? I can't say until you take it out and show it to me. It's It blew my mind. And my wife's like a super visualizer. She can picture every part of the room and remember stuff. And so I started kind of looking into it 
And I also had a moment where I, a friend was telling me about some police drama where they were doing that thing where they describe what someone looks like and they draw it. And I've always been really skeptical of how that could be real. How could you do that? I don't understand. So I had said somebody something to somebody like, that's not real. Like, nobody could do that. <laughs> and she said, I think you should Google this. <laughs> <laughs> so what age were you? No, I, this was just like five years ago. <laughs> wow. So you went through most of your life not knowing you were special. Yeah, and most AFANs don't know because we're just used to the way that we experience life. And when y'all say, picture it or see it in your mind's eye, we don't think y'all are being literal. We think you mean, like, know the concept of what mm. that would be. We don't think you guys, like most AFANs, we don't think you guys really see stuff. So when we find out, no, other people can actually visualize things, usually we're kind of dumbstruck by that. <laughs> and do you dream? Mm -hmm. My dreams are very visual. Um, so while I'm having them, I experience that. Um, but I can't wake up and recall the images. So you do get images, you do get images in dreams then. Yep. And most A fans do. Right. It's weird that you, you then <laughs> become a, a creative writer and storyteller <laughs> with that. I, because for me, I, I've got to admit, I, I can't connect that because I narrate audiobooks. And mm -hmm. I work with a lot of authors. And when I narrate the stories, because there's lots of characters, you know, I, I do a lot of work with uh, Daniel Pai in uh, Florida, and she writes these fabulous science fiction books with amazing yeah. characters. And I yeah. have to be the voice of the character. And I see the character in my mind, exactly what they look like, the stories, the insides of the spaceships. And I see everything as I'm reading. In fact, I don't know if I could do it without the visual. So I'm having a really hard time working out how you create stories, which to me are creating images. Yeah, I know. I just had a, uh, another author reach out to me from the UK who we've kind of been friends and been emailing. And she just had read about that I was an a that I had a Fantasia. And she was like, please explain to me how you write. <laughs> yes. How do you do how that? Do you do, how do you do? What did you say? I said, all I can say is that I've never known any other way of being. So, I mean, I'm thinking my thoughts. I just am not seeing or feeling them. And she said, but you write so much about sensory experience. It's like the heart and soul of what you write it is, is how things feel and look. And I was like, I, I, I can't explain it. <laughs> it's just the way that my brain works. But the, the key is it does work. It does work. <laughs> Works really well. And that's why Nothing Much Happens, Bedtime Stories for Grown-Ups, is at number 13 this week. At 12, Feel Better, Live More with Dr. Rangan Chatterjee. Stories from leading health experts and personalities who offer easy life hacks, expert advice, and debunk common health myths. 11, Happy Place. Fern Cotton talks to incredible people about life, love, loss, and everything in between. Number 10. On Purpose with Jay Shetty. Fascinating conversations with the most insightful people in the world. At number 9. Build It with the builder-turned-broadcaster Andy Stevens. Andy, one of the most polarizing people among the trades is Charlie Mullins. 
the founder of Pimlico Plumbers, one of London's biggest maintenance and service firms. You've interviewed him a few times. What did you make of him? I very much respect him because he came through as an apprentice plumber, obviously, a long time ago, and he's built his company into what it is. Yeah. Now, I don't necessarily agree with all of his policies, but his big thing is apprenticeships. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say got the exclusive, but he, I was the first one he told that he was in Dubai speaking to all the the business schools out there. And, you know, London cabs are going over there and he's sponsoring all of them. Because um, over there, there's an awful lot of new skyscrapers being built, but sadly, it's very cheap, you know, Indian and Palestinian Israeli labor, which I don't think they looked after at all. But your, your posh sort of residential ones, there's no maintenance people with experience. So um, he was over there talking to, to various people over there, it's sort of quite high up. And I've, I've got a lot of time for him. I have got a lot of time for him. Um, he's... Yeah, listen, he's he's very black is black, white is white, and he will rub people up the wrong way. But you can't not respect someone that started as a, you know, a rough ass apprentice plumber and turned it into what it is now. And what's mm-hmm. I don't know what his net worth is seventy, eighty million. You know, mm. how many trades people can say that? So <laughs> he, he deserves respect. Can't argue with success, can you? Yeah. No. And you say there's no other podcast like yours out there. What podcasts inspire you then? One one thing I I didn't listen to millions of podcasts, but the one thing I kept getting told by by broadcasters, by builders, by people who knew that I was doing it, be yourself. Yeah. Don't try and pretend to be someone else. Like I'm not going to say I'm an expert in you know structural calculations for steels because I'm not. I'll put them in, but I might have a disagreement about how big they are. But I'm not an expert. But I wanted people to see my experience and my passion. If that is getting all youngsters in if that is changing perception in schools and and advising people by getting good guessing because as you know if you've got a good guest it's a fascinating listen <laughs> any subject yeah. um but it's obviously it's new what is it three four months old now um i i've studied the analytics heavily um very very frequently which is obviously great with a podcast because you can look at it every couple of minutes and it changes um, it's fascinating that I'm being listened to in Burma and Israel and the most random places in the world. But um, it's starting to balance out. So it's Britain, America, Australia, New Zealand, Ireland. Um, and But I'm, I'm looking at which show works well. Um, and, you know, the, the, the advisory ones tend to be, you know, the, the kitchen uncovered. Right, I've got a 100 grand kitchen. Is it any better than 10 grand? No, it's not. And timber is going to go up by this. So look at it now, because if you've got a bill coming up in six months, you might not be able to afford to finish. That's sort of the way. So I've got a property expert coming on soon. Um, the very topical subject, which, as you know, I'm, uh, well, I don't know how we're going to sort it out, is getting knocked, which is what is an expression we use for not getting paid. And I've got another builder on who runs a successful company in North London. And it's, you know, what can we do? Because customers need to listen to that. Because mm. if you don't pay, your relationship is shot. You won't get that tradesperson back. Mm. And, you know, why should you not pay if it's been agreed? But often is it us as tradespeople not having had the, the sort of education of how to properly price something or explain extras as we go? So I look at it from both angles. And I think that's why, um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a decent podcast, that one, because it, it's me being honest. 
Mm. Um, suddenly, you know, I, I genuinely had this a couple of years ago. We were we're doing a load of work, family of five, brought the car in, three kids out, then they drove off, and we were mulling the new mains water under the drive, and we pop it up under the stairs so we don't have to dig the drive up. Anyway, this guy's moling away, and he comes, he goes, and and I've lost the bloody mole. Where's it going? I said, what do you mean you've lost the mole? He goes, it's gone. So anyway, we're tapping the drive that's just had a car on with kids in. Don't ask me how it didn't happen. Tapping it with a shovel, it's collapsed. There's this well slash sinkhole underneath. Now, there's no way, no matter how good you are, you can see that before you start work. <laughs> so it's all about communicating properly to the client. It's an unforeseen. Clearly, I've not priced for this because I can't see through the ground or through a ceiling, rather than plastic ceiling. You don't know if electrics have burnt over the years. Um, but I think it's, yeah, it's it's us communicating it properly, not just rogue customers just saying, no, I'm not paying you. Because there are unfortunately quite a few of them. They look you in the eye at the end of the job and say, take me a call. Wow. The podcast is called Build It with Andy Stevens, and it's at number nine this week on the pod 20. At eight, law. Dark historical tales of mysterious creatures, tragic events, and unusual places that fill the pages of history. Because sometimes the truth is more frightening than fiction. Number seven, not just the Tudors. Historians reveal incredible stories about the most fascinating periods in history. Number six, media masters with the PR guru Paul Blanchard. Paul, is there such a thing as bad publicity? Um, yes, I would say so. Um, I mean, you know, if you're going to get into trouble with, you know, the police or anything like that, I, I, I think sometimes people are prepared to give you the benefit of the doubt as well. If you, if you, um, if you can try it as long as though it's genuine. I mean, I, I wrote a book, Fast PR, and I do talk about this, that, um, you know, most chief executives are, um, I put, I, I imagine, I say to my clients, imagine you're in a, a pizza restaurant and you're upstairs doing the books. And then you hear from downstairs that, that there's a, a, a table that's complained, wants to see the manager and they're very, very upset. So you go down to see them and that, that's a real opportunity to bring them round there because the, if you think of the, the family that's had the bad pizza or the bad experience, you know, they know already that you didn't cook the pizza and you didn't take the order. So what are they looking for? They're looking for genuine empathy. They're looking for a sense that you want to genuinely get to the bottom of it and actually, you know, put it right. And, and they want to believe that it won't happen again. And you can't really do anything other than that as a leader. And that's where leaders go wrong when they're fighting crises now is they, they, you know, they, they, normally they get advice from the wrong people. And by that, I mean lawyers. lawyers. <laughs> so the, 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 yeah. so the, the general counsel said, well, you can't express an apology for what happened because then they could sue us. And I mean, if you take United Airlines, for example, that, that poor bloke who got punched in the face and dragged off the plane a couple yeah. of years ago, yeah. I remember seeing that. And the, the United Airlines put out a tweet and it said, we regret having to reaccommodate this passenger. And it was really, it was obviously cool. written by the law, incredibly legalistic. And the lawyer will have thought, well, writing a tweet that way will save us 4 million in the settlement. But they lost a billion dollars off their stock market value within 24 hours because everyone was not only outraged by that, but even more outraged by the way that it was handled by the chief executive. So uh, what what they, I remember being in the airport, seeing that on, you know, reading the tweet and CNN had split screened it with the tweet and actual video footage of the poor man's bloodied face. And I thought, well, they've not actually reaccommodated that passenger. They've punched him in the face and dragged him off. And that's disgusting. Yeah, and everyone's seen it. 
Yeah, it, it was. Um, and what what he should have done, and I, you can almost do these things on autopilot as long as it's genuine, is the CEO should have come out straight away and said, I'm as horrified as anyone else seeing that footage. My first thought was that poor man. I will never let that happen on one of our planes ever again. Secondly, I want to apologize not only to him, but to our staff and our customers, everyone involved, because that must have been horrific. I don't know what happened. But I'm sure as hell going to get to the bottom of what happened. And I'm going to make sure that it doesn't ever happen again. This can't happen again. That would have been fine. Genuine empathy. Promise to get to the bottom of it. Promise that you'll learn mistakes. What else can a leader do? But most companies don't do that basic thing because and I've, I've been at the center of this before where you know a director of a client will get arrested and there's three people in the world that can truly decide how what they're actually going to do and one of them's on retreat in sri lanka because he's got a sick mother the other one's in on a private jet but they can't reach him and the other ones you know um won't do anything until he's spoken to the other two and it, big companies are paralyzed by indecision and inertia and sometimes i have to make the decision i have to say look this guy has to go but you know i i have to take my my lead from the client i can't do their job for them it might be that they decide to suspend that person look into it there might be a deeper problem a vexatious complainant or something again you know so there's often more to this but i need a direction of travel from clients before i can then start to to do it but i'll say one thing most people are so cynical nowadays in in the proper sense of the word as well as the jaded sense is the apologies mean nothing unless you you actually do mean it i mean the 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 chap who runs alton towers for example he handled it very well because you know uh, that woman who uh, lost the use of her legs because i think the one of their roller coasters went wrong yeah he went on the tv news that night and he was genuinely upset you could see it he was in tears and Kay burley knocked seven bells out of him on (laughs) on the tv and don't get me wrong she had every right to do so she's a good journalist but actually most people thought he came across well not because he sort of quote unquote handled it well like a media training example but as in the guy was gutted you know he's trying he's to run human. a place yeah. yeah he's trying to make a place where he's got staff and customers that are happy and you know the last thing he would have wanted was someone to have to have their legs amputated and he was gutted for her and for him he's and for everyone involved now that if it's real i would say you know stick them on the air so um we do a lot of sort of crisis stuff like that yeah, I saw, I had a first-hand example of this. I worked at a radio station in Birmingham and there was a contest and some listeners were hurt. I mean, seriously hurt. They were hospitalized because of what they'd been asked to do. I don't know if you remember, you remember the stunt. They I were, do. It's called water intoxication. No, no, not that one. This was, this was, uh, they, they sat on some dry ice, that one. Oh, no, I don't know that one. No, God, did they get it, burnt terribly? Yeah, it was, uh, it, it was a thing called the coolest seats in the house. It was who could sit on it the longest. I mean, it was oh. just horrific. But I was working there at the time and I saw a thing in the paper from the boss and it said they all signed disclaimers. Oh, oh what? Yeah. Um, what? They mustn't, they just mustn't be thinking. Um, uh, and, oh, it's, as you say, they're, they're, um, they're influenced by the lawyers. Yeah, it is. It's very difficult, though. I mean, I'm not I, I mean, first of all, that was unforgivable. He shouldn't have done that. But like I in my book, I use a fictional example of a canoe company where, you know, little Timmy drowns in a in a in an outdoor adventure park. And he was in one of this company's canoes and the press go to comment. And, and you've got to think of it from their point of view. I mean, the first thing is, you know, little Timmy has died. That's awful. So you lead on sympathy. But the second thing is it genuinely might not have been their canoe that killed little Timmy. It might have been, you know, you don't blame a car manufacturer every time someone decides to drive a car into a brick wall. You you, you know, it's too early to say. So you've got to strike a balance whilst being genuine of sort of genuine sympathy and saying you'll cooperate with the authorities, but not actually admitting it's your fault 
if it isn't your fault and if you genuinely don't know, you have to find a form of words to say that. Mm. Um, so it, it is, it can be very, very difficult, especially because the press, of course, do want to get you. That's what, that's what they, I don't blame journalists <laughs> for that. But if something goes wrong, they, they sense blood and um, they go for it big time. I don't blame them. I never thought you'd be on their side, Paul. Paul Blanchard, Media Masters, is at number six this week on the Pod 20. At number five, Freakonomics Radio. Discover the hidden side of everything with Stephen J. Dubner, co-author of the Freakonomics books. Number four, Conan O'Brien needs a friend. After 25 years at the late night desk, Conan has never made a real and lasting friendship with any of his celebrity guests. So, he started a podcast to fix that. At number three, a cup of tea and a chat with Ali and Bean. Ali, you and Bean used to be hosts on the Kevin and Bean show on K-Rock in Los Angeles. And now, Bean, you've moved to London. Ali, will you be moving to the UK soon? (laughs) Listen, um, to any lovely man in the UK, I come from a long line of Scottish people. Ali Mackay is how you're supposed to pronounce my last name, but then you sound like a pirate here in America. Um, My mother is an O'Neill from Ireland. So I'm more than willing to hop on a plane and change my whole life. But a lot like uh, American men, not a lot of calls. <laughs> but you know we'll see i mean i am looking forward to the day when i can hop on a plane and go back to england and visit with bean and donna i i can't wait for that bean will of course not open the door hopefully donna will but i'm excited for that absolutely who knows ellie's talking about leaving los angeles finally she's talking about moving to maine you know so many people yeah. around the world have realized during the pandemic that there's no reason to live in a big expensive city if you can do your work online why not live someplace you want to be in the country for some people or on the water for other people so but ali's explained that everybody else is having the same idea so good luck yeah. finding a property you can afford yeah yeah it is a seller's market right now in america so kind of have to wait a year for that bubble to burst and and see how that goes. To be blunt, though, I mean, let's face oh. it, Bean, you moved over to the UK to look for radio work and that hasn't happened yet. And right. Ali, you were on K-Rock until the whole show got fired. Mm-hmm. Is the worst thing that could happen to the podcast that one of you could get a job? Like I said, you. I'm being How blunt dare here. you verbalize Is- my biggest fear about Bean? <laughs> Wait, hold on. I have a way out. Are you kidding me? I didn't even Honestly. think about it like that. Bean, I'll say this. My father said two weeks ago when we were talking about me building a house in Maine and what about that? And da, 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 He goes, let's say you do that. You move out here and Bean gets a full time job and he says, screw that chick. What are you going to do? And I'm like, wow. Um, <laughs> yikes. Yikes. Didn't really think about that. So, Bean, while we have you, what are your plans? What's going on? Well, I didn't realize I had a lifeline until Graham just threw it to me. So I'm feeling (laughs) the most optimistic I felt in years right now. I'm going to tell you what I'll do is double down on finding some work, man. That's for sure. Well, I mean, I say it because from my own personal experience, you know, I used to do a daily radio show and then I worked. I ran a radio station in London and I was there every day. 
since the pandemic and things have happened, now I do a, a weekly radio show and I do other bits and pieces on another station and I do the audiobooks. And I kind of think now if somebody was to offer me a, a, a daily radio show, I'd really have to think twice right? about it. It would taking stink, it. right? Right? Chris? Yeah, because, <laughs> you know, because of all the idiots you have to work with and you have to be at a certain place. And I was just wondering, you know, because this is a successful podcast very, very quickly, whether you'd, it'd be hard to even tempt you back to a real job. Um. I have no plans to leave the podcast. The podcast is something that, you know, I'm proud like any entrepreneur would be. I mean, Ali and I together, just the two of us have built a business and I'm really proud of that. And I really, I enjoy it and I feel good about it. And I feel like, uh, I, I feel like it would be unfair to our wonderful subscribers to start this thing, get them all excited about thinking they've got a new thing in their life and then pulling the rug out from under them. So we don't have an end date on this. We've got a dot, dot, dot. It's still further notice. And as far as I'm concerned, it's going to last a while. Well, it's sounding great and I really enjoy it. And I'm glad you're back together on the air and everyone can enjoy the chemistry between the two of you and, and the things you talk about. And uh, yeah, where can we find out more? Well, um, we're on Patreon, of course. A Cup of Tea and a Chat is the name of the podcast. But as Ali mentioned, we also have a free weekly sampler that comes out every Monday through all the usual places, through your uh, through your Stitcher and through your Spotify and through your Apple and everybody. They'll kind of give you a flavor of the show. We just cut up some of our favorite bits from the previous week. So people want to check it out and then decide if they want more content, they can get it from the Patreon page. And uh, yeah, we just, anybody who hasn't, I doubt there's anyone watching this who hasn't uh, hasn't already listened. But if you're out there, Check us out. We'd love to have you in the audience. You, you, you too could be called a teabagger. That's what you're calling your listeners, teabaggers. <laughs> I wasn't all for teabaggers. I thought Mad Shatters would be delightful. Sure. But the more I thought about people listening being called teabaggers, the funnier it became. <laughs> a cup of tea and a chat with Ali and Bean is at number three this week. Number two, Rob Beckett and Josh Widdicombe's Lockdown Parenting Hell. It's parenting just not as you know it. And straight in at number one. Absolutely mental. Ricky Gervais phones his favourite smart friend, the neuroscientist and philosopher Sam Harris, to ask some very important questions. And some not-so-important ones. That's it for episode 56 of The Pod 20. Thanks to this week's guest pod stars, Paul Barros, Catherine Nicolai, Andy Stevens, Paul Blanchard, Ali McKay, and Jean Bean Baxter. Next week, my guests include Edward Hardy from The Hardy Report. Edward, you're a Brit, and your podcast deals with American politics. Why do you think most British people don't understand why America has so many Bible-bashing, gun-toting, right-wing whack jobs? I think that's a really interesting point, actually, because for British people, the left and the right over in the UK would almost certainly be all encompassed by the Democratic Party. Yeah. There really isn't a Republican side of politics over in the UK. It just did nothing really equivalent. The closest we ever probably got to it was UKIP. And even they were probably on the moderate side of some of these Republicans. So it, it really has been interesting getting an insight from the Republicans that I've managed to speak to, and also some experts that have looked into this. So 
I think really social media is such an integral part of how America has become so divided between the left and the right. One of the people that I spoke to was Tristan Harris, who used to work for Google. He's one of the main featured experts in the Netflix show, The Social Dilemma. And he talks about how social media has been built to divide people. And in a country as vast as America is, politicians, particularly ones on a state or national level, have to use social media in the digital world in order to communicate. That's just the way it has to be, particularly at the presidential level. And so what I'm served up on Twitter will be different to what you're served up on Twitter, will be different to what every single listener to to this interview is served up on Twitter. And when you amplify that 300 million plus times, everyone is fed the worlds that they are essentially given uh, and want to be given, and it burrows them deeper and deeper into their entrenched views. And that interview, I think, really gave me that insight. I think that explains better than anything a politician can say as to how America has become that way. Because if you look at Donald Trump, he got elected um, because of his Facebook strategy in a way. In 2016, his Facebook strategy was far and above anything that the Democrats managed to put out. And that's got to so many people and reached out to so many people. You still have a situation where so many individuals out there believe that the 2020 election was stolen. Because all they see is Donald Trump clips or people on that wing of the party sharing that online and talking about it and posting in groups. And that's, in a way, something that needs to be talked about now. He might be out of office. The world might be a different place. But if we don't fundamentally address social media, such a powerful tool, Mm. It's going to constantly divide people. I mean, you look at the Brexit referendum, for example. Social media played such an integral part over here in the UK. It's something that's universal, the impact of social media. But I think that is truly what has created such a divided America. Fox News probably helped as well at the beginning, I would have thought. Oh, certainly. The the media platform, uh, America, again, it's so different to what we have over in the UK. The UK's media is pretty much, okay, it has opinions here and there and that. Pretty liberal though, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it's pretty, because it has to be in a way, to be on air over here, to follow those Ofcom guidelines, to stick to whatever the watchdog for the industry or the outlet is, they have to follow a fairly reasonable approach where they're giving both sides of an argument giving the expert opinions. The the people on the right of politics would argue that we have a a liberal bias media here. But, well, they might... Apart from newspapers, newspapers seem to have, you know, the Daily Mail is not like the Daily Mirror. But I think when you look at, say, what happens in America, if you look at their opinionated shows, they are far and away different to what we have. Hmm. Ours is really the reason people think it's liberal is, and this is going to sound fairly controversial, but the idea that something is, you know, quote-unquote liberal is simply just that it's straight down the middle these days. It's not opinionated one way or the other. You look at the BBC, 
people claim the BBC is this left-wing outlet or something. It, it really isn't. If you watch most BBC content, it's very straight down the middle. Whereas in America, they don't have to adhere to those same rules. So Fox News could put climate change deniers on from morning till evening, and no one would really stop them. The Fox News morning show used to put Donald Trump on during the 2016 campaign, and he would just talk to the Fox News audience and say whatever he wanted to say unchallenged for you know an hour plus. Yeah, and the, the media there. I, I, you know, when I see interviews with Trump, even from the likes of CNN and you know, and more liberal networks, I don't think they did a good enough job of challenging some of the BS that Trump was coming out with the whole term of his presidency. Did you get that feeling too? Uh, definitely. The uh, the the two people I spoke to, to their credit, the two White House reports that I had on the show, they're individuals who are, have been quite good uh, at holding. Uh, the Trump administration to account when I spoke to them. Uh, it was during the Trump administration. Brian Karem, for example, the senior White House reporter for uh, Playboy, uh, he has been one of the strongest individuals for not taking nonsense from the Trump administration. He sat there and, and he would challenge them. And for example, there was a clip where he asked Donald Trump, would he accept the results of the election? And at the time, everyone said, this is a ridiculous concept. Of course he will. Why are you asking this? And then, of course, he didn't. And it, it's sort of that journalism, not being afraid of the backlash you're going to get because someone needs to ask that question, is something that a lot of reporters do, to boot their credit, but there are a lot that don't. And there are a lot of outlets where often they will have people on and they won't ask um, the tough enough questions. There's one news outlet that I won't say my name, but when I give this example, it's not going to be difficult to work out. Uh, you know, one of the hosts regularly interviews their political uh, a politician who's their brother. And the interviews are, they, they, you know, they do not address what needs to be addressed. They're quite lighthearted. They ask a few tough questions, but then they make jokes about, there was one instance where they said, you know, I only had you on because mum told me I had to. That's not what a news outlet should be doing. Alone allowing two brothers to be talking to each other on air, you know, you should have had a different reporter asking those questions. So I think that's part of the problem is often it's about American news. If you watch it, it's about five minutes of news conversation and then it's ads. It's an yeah. entertainment industry, a lot of their news outlets, and that's where the problem falls. Edward Hardy from The Hardy Report will be back next week on The Pod 20. And if you'd like to watch extended video chats with my guests, check them out on YouTube and subscribe to my YouTube channel. What will happen on the podcast radio chart next week? Will Ricky Gervais and Sam Harris still be at the top of the chart? Will your favourite podcast be at number one? Find out with me, Graham Mack, and influence the chart. Make a recommendation at thepodcastradio.co.uk. Faith in the news media has been challenged, making it even harder to get stories told. The Friday Reporter podcast was created to help audiences better understand the media by hosting journalists who will answer the questions to which we need answers. Join me every Friday to hear more.